Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. Fall is here, and those of you with easy keepers and metabolic horses need to be extra careful at turnout time. As the seasons change, the sugar content in grass increases, often leading to a seasonal spike in cases of founder. The folks at Equithrive have formulated products to help you navigate these potential pasture pitfalls. Equithrive's Metabarol is a pelleted supplement that is scientifically proven to support healthy metabolic function and a healthy inflammatory response in horses. It's bona fide joint and metabolic support all in one easy to feed pellet. Visit Equithrive.com today and use the promo code HUMBLEHOOF to get 20% off your first order, plus free shipping. www.equithrive.com A huge part of my job is helping owners when they decide to transition their horses to barefoot. We can never 100% predict how a horse is going to feel without their shoes, except, you know, for the horses that throw a shoe and are crippled. We'll know that they'll probably be uncomfortable. That being said, there's so many things we can do to help horses have a successful barefoot transition. This includes things like changing their diet to limit sugars and starches that can lead to inflammation in the hoof capsule, make sure that they're getting proper levels of copper and zinc and amino acids, salt, vitamin E, magnesium, things like that that are really going to help grow a tight lamina connection and a healthy wall and sole, treating thrush, and always having hoof protection on hand, whether that's going from traditional shoes to composite shoes so that they can get used to the flexibility or using something like a therapeutic boot with pads inside to help them transition, or even something as simple as hoof armor, which is what I use in a lot of cases where the horses don't seem like they'll be uncomfortable and they have a pretty good foot, but you want to give them that extra layer of protection on their sole. I reached out to Sarah Hunt, Jen Rakis, and Anna Drabble to talk to them about what they do to help horses be successful as they transition to barefoot. This conversation just goes through some common things we talk to owners about and some tips and tricks to help the process be as comfortable for the horse as possible and as successful for the owner as it can be. Starting, why don't we actually do a little introduction? So, um, Jen, if you want to start, why don't you say a little bit about, like you can say your name and then a little bit about your business and where you're located. Okay, sounds good. Uh, my name is Jen Rakis, and I operate Heel to Toe Natural Hoof Care and Body Work in Sugar Grove, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. I have been a barefoot trimmer for roughly 15 years, and the majority of my clients Gosh, they range from foals um, to backyard to performance to geriatrics and a uh, fair amount of rehabs mixed in the, the group there. And then uh, and I've started doing uh, body work and I'm currently enrolled in osteopathic school. So, so I get to add that to the whole rehab experience as well. Oh, that's awesome. And what about you? It's Anna, right? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, my name's Anna Drabble. I'm in Waikato in New Zealand. Um, I've been full-time about six years now. And similar to Jen, I do all sorts of horses from rehab to performance to in-between uh, paddock horses. I also do some body work, although 
I've mostly filled up my books with trimming now, <laughs> uh, but it's still an interest, um, something I really enjoy doing with my horses. And if I do get to do both bodywork and trimming or shoeing on a horse, uh, I really enjoy that combination. Um, and yeah, I do trimming and composite shoeing. Awesome. And just to kind of give a little context, are you both in like kind of wet environments? What, what's the environment like of the horses that you're seeing? Um, so <laughs> here in the Midwest, I mean, it, it changes by the day. Sometimes we, I mean, we'll have really dry spells and then we'll, you know, have really muddy spells. So it's, it's a, a lot of both, quite honestly, you know, it's, um, we're kind of dealing with wet and then soft feet and then really dry and then, you know, really hard feet. So we, we have the best of both worlds apparently here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, here in New Zealand we certainly do as well. And we've just been through two of the, the wettest years on record. So we're seeing um, a lot of challenges with that and a lot of damaged feet. And now that it's starting to, to dry out, that brings challenges as well, having water-damaged feet now coming onto harder, dry, drier ground. Sure. Um, but we, we get a big range as well. Some areas can be really, really dry. Awesome. And I know I saw that um, Sarah just joined. So that's, this is perfect. So um, Sarah, and I know that you've been on the podcast before, but do you want to say a little bit, we just did introductions. So do you want to say your name and, you know, uh, the area that you work in and the climate that it's like, because obviously if we're talking about hooves, we can kind of give some context as to what we're dealing with. Yeah. So I'm Sarah Hunt. I uh, have Spectrum Equine down here in San Diego, California. Um, so we are a largely desert type uh, climate, realistically speaking. Um, and horses don't really get much turnout. Um, lots of 24 by 24 pipe corrals, lots of uh, just clay, which is hard in the hard in the summer and mucky and gross in the winter when we do, we do get rain. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of DG. If the horses aren't on concrete for you know mats and stuff like that, the dirt is almost as good as concrete. So um, transitioning can be a little tough down here. Uh, just because we have hard, dry ground, and on the trail, it's a lot, a lot of rocks and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, and that's kind of like, you know, obviously we're in very different environments. I'm in wet New England, so, oh, you know, I, this year, I know that Anna was mentioning how she's had the wettest year on record. This year was crazy. I mean, there were days that we had inches of rain in like an hour, um, and we've wow. never had that. I've never seen that, and it's just been a very, very... <laughs> Very damp year. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of damaged feet from that as well. But then you have the other end of the – the whole other end of the spectrum where, like, Sarah's in that, you know, dry desert type environment. So I think it's it's good to kind of cover both instances when, if we're going to talk about, you know, growing these healthy feet and getting them comfortable barefoot. So – yeah, I guess we can start with, you know, if you're going to meet a horse that's currently shod that the owner wants to take barefoot, is there anything for, you know, the environments that you guys are in that you ask the owners to prepare to do beforehand or or have already done beforehand to make sure that the transition starts smoothly? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know that for me, I have kind of a whole first visit transitioning just kind of yep. a list of, of, of things that I run through with the owner, questions that I ask, things that I try and ascertain before I even like pick up the feet or just kind of give everything a cursory glance. And then I run down this list first before I even get into things because 
sometimes, you know, we'll, the owner's like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on board. Let's pull the shoes and do all the things. And you pull the shoes and you do the things and then go, so we need to get the horse off the alfalfa. And it's right. like, oh, they only feed alfalfa here. And they have to eat sweet feed. Mm-hmm. And now your horse is barefoot and trimmed and you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So there's definitely like a whole pre-screening that I always go through at this point that I've been burned too many times. Yes. Um, you know, I yeah. do something similar where I chat with them before then. Hand, so. Yeah. Before they even get there, there's a whole thing they have to kind of agree to before I even schedule the appointment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know, Sarah, what you do, but you know, when I'm on the phone call with them, we do, we go through, you know, what's the turnout situation like? What is your horse eating? What is his work level? What are his goals? Do you know what was his history prior to you getting him? How long have you had him? All of those kinds of things. And then I just kind of lay out my requirements. You know, if I'm taking shoes off of a foot anymore, it's just a requirement. There's got to be protection on there, whether it's a boot or a glue-on of some sort. The horse is going to determine that when I see the foot in person. But if they're not going to agree, and for the same reason you said, Sarah, because I've been burned as well, it's like you can't, you just can't pull the shoes and go cold turkey with a horse. It's not fair to them. And so if there's not an agreement that there's going to be some sort of ongoing protection, then it's it's a no for me. Yeah, yeah. No, and, you know, for me, it starts, you know, so I'll get a phone call and I'll say, okay, you know, please go to my website, read over my page that kind of details what I provide as a healthcare provider, um, their expectations of me and my expectations of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how that goes and that, you know, things as basic as, uh, you know, she's set to a five-week trim cycle and... Mm-hmm. We work together as a you know a healthcare team with your vet and things like that, and then other things that are more specific, you know, such as diet, that kind of thing that people don't think about. And that definitely weeds out a lot of people um, who sure. just want me to come and trim the feet every pull the shoes. <laughs> yeah. They don't want me to actually like you know they're just looking for a more standard healthcare provider versus someone who's more of a specialist. Like I, I I'm um, yeah, so more of a specialist. Like we are. And that's right. totally fine. You know, not everyone is willing to get into the kind of rehab work and whatnot that we do when we're transitioning horses. A lot of folks just want to save some money over the winter and pull shoes off. Right, right. Um, and that's fine. That's totally fine. But I'm just not the provider for them. And sure. So if I do have somebody who then, okay, they submit their information, they've read through everything, we have, you know, I go out and look at the horse and, um, you know, and sometimes we look at a horse and go, you know, so why do you have shoes on this horse? And so, um, because someone told me to, or because he came that way, or because the farrier said so. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't see a particular reason why, because everything looks really good and really pretty healthy, and you know, um, let's just go ahead and take a look at everything and um, let's see how the, how the horse thinks. So we pull the shoes uh-huh. and do a real basic little minimal trim and walk the horse out, and the horse is landing heel first and comfortable on hard ground already, and so we go, all right, well. You know, keep in touch. I can be back in a few days or, ne- or a week or two if we need to to do a little more trim or whatever. And, you know, those horses transition fairly easily. Yeah, I don't have any of those. Yeah, those are kind of <laughs> yeah. things. Um, but it's often yeah. you do get one, and it's kind of nice. 
<laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, this actually happened to me. I had one of those and then same owner. She pull out the next horse and I'm going, oh, okay. So this is a rehab. Right. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, that's fun. I did have a really, really what I would consider a fast transition last year and was kind of astonishing and fun to watch. But, you know, I always hold my breath a little bit through things like that because, you know, you're just waiting, you know, for when they're either going to injure themselves because all of a sudden they feel so good or Mm -hmm. you're going back and replacing boots all the time because they're feeling so great they're tearing them up. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I think, Anna, did you have anything that you typically ask of owners? I, I don't know if you had mentioned anything yet. Yeah, I guess um, my two key things are uh, what are the owner's expectations of that horse? What are they going to be mm-hmm. doing with it um, in the next while? And, yeah, in the next few months, what would they like to be doing with it? And... Sometimes that's going to be a good time to take the shoes off and sometimes it's not. Sometimes um, we might say, all right, that sounds all right, but maybe we'll wait a few months until you're done competing, you've done your mm-hmm. big ride, and then we'll yep. look at taking sure. the shoes off. Yeah. And what was the other one? I guess, yeah, why they want to take the shoes off. So I think you guys already mentioned it. Do they want to save money, which is not always a bad thing. That can sure. sometimes work, but sometimes you if get that's there. the only reason, then that's yeah, not. right. That's the only reason, or if you get there and the feet are actually a rehab case and they want to save money, then that's probably not going to work. Sure. But I just want to make sure that their kind of values and expectations are in line with what I do and what looks realistic for that horse. Um, Smart. Yeah. And I find it really variable here in New Zealand. I don't like to to look at a hoof and, and guess, or I think that horse will be fine barefoot or or not, because often I found we just get that wrong. You can look at a hoof and go, mm-hmm. oh, sure. that's going to need a lot of work. And you take the shoes off and you're really surprised that they're, they're okay or the opposite, the feet look pretty good <laughs> and um, they really feel it. So I really want to make sure that the, the clients have some time. They're not taking the shoes off and expecting the horse to be competing in a week or a month. Absolutely, right. Yeah. 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 Whether they're good or not, we have some time to see how sure. that horse is going to be and what it's going to need. I think that's probably the, the, the first thing I'll discuss with, a client who has, you know, a horse who's clearly going to need some rehab work. Um, mm-hmm. They say, okay, you know, I wish I had a magic eight ball. Right. But I have had horses who I've pulled shoes and, you know, they can barely walk. We pull the shoes and they jog off. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how on earth are you not, you know, but the shoeing package was causing enough dysfunction that the horse is... Mm-hmm. You know, even though the horse is still in pain, it's less than it was. Right. So it feels like an improvement to that individual. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Still, hold your breath there because three days from now. Exactly. The horse is going to probably be singing a different tune. Yeah. And that's why we need to like, have the boots, have the pads, have everything ready to go so that, um, you know, in a few days from now, when your horse all of a sudden goes, okay, I, I, I feel this and it hurts. 
um, you've got something to support them with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it really depends on the environment yeah. too. Sure. Like I think Jen, you're in the really hard ground and stony areas, whereas I'll try usually to take shoes off when the ground is going to be really soft here and we've got a bit of time with soft ground that really help the horses and we'll just take them off see how they are for a month if they're good the owner can do some light work with them but then we yeah see where they're at at the next trim and sometimes we might look at boots occasionally I'll put a horse straight into composite shoes but that that's also a transition I think people need to be prepared that their horse may feel that as well coming out of rigid shoes and flexible shoes being able to flex yeah Right. Yeah. right. But it's not just a magic bullet. To- right. No. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, I just, I find at least here, I don't, I'm not going to say the climate isn't a consideration, but, you know, I find by the time people have called me, I, they're pretty lame, at least in one gate shod. And so, you know, we're, we're pulling those shoes and we're, they're pretty much all rehabs in my mind. And, you know, we're going straight into, you know, two to three week trim cycles and dental impression material and some sort of either a boot or some sort of glue on whatever's appropriate for that. Because along with the weakness, there's quite a bit of distortion as well. And so, yeah, I, I can't just, I, I can't, I'm trying to think as Sarah and Anna are talking, like if I had any of that I think there's one that trotted off, but then a few days later he was lame. And I thought, yeah, yeah. I'm not doing mm-hmm. that anymore. You know, yeah, it's right. and fair to them. I think it's important to note too, because we're talking about this difficulty that we often see as horses are, you know, going barefoot. It doesn't mean that they can't be successfully comfortable barefoot. It just means that we have to prepare the owners that they're yes. there. It might take some time, but also have something on hand so that you can give them protection. So we're not just, you know, pulling shoes and telling them to suck it up because none of us want to see these horses sore, you know, no, 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 that is not (laughs) definitely. They just want the horse to be comfortable. So when we talk about actually having a plan and using boots or composite shoes to keep the horse comfortable, uh, then they're totally on board with that. But it's that cold Turkey, let the horse be lame. It's right. part of it that they're not into. And right. I'm not into that either. Yeah. No. A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our humble hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes, and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, ship jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. 
and know. honestly, I know that we we're just talking about like you've seen these unsuccessful barefoot transitions where maybe the the trim played a role or other things played a role. I don't know about you all, but when I pull shoes, I tend to not really trim. And, and I think that that I, I tell owners that I tell them I'm going to just roll these walls a little bit to minimize the chipping, but you're probably going to see some chipping maybe to the nail holes if they're not wearing boots all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not going to take off a lot, really much, if any material, because we already took off like a huge amount of material, quote unquote, with removing the shoe. Like we're taking, it's like we removed right. a large amount of material. Um, Absolutely. And I think a lot of times that, you know, before I kind of adapted to that, I saw a lot more soreness when I was pulling shoes where I would, you know, pull the shoes, do a trim because it's at the end of the shoe cycle and they have a lot of foot and then you have a very uncomfortable horse. Sure. So I don't know if you all, what you all do when you first pull shoes. So when I pull the shoes, typically I take a lot of pictures, I document everything and I've started videoing how they're moving beforehand because memories do not always serve us correctly. And, um, but as soon as I pull those shoes, I typically will just run a file over the heels to balance them. And I remove, I do remove the toe from basically 10 to two, like on a steering wheel, because most of the feet that I'm seeing, the feet are so forward and the toes are so long. So I do remove that. And then I roll the whole foot and I, you know, put in some that usually too I'm seeing really really weak I think across the board I'm seeing really weak frogs and digital cushions yeah so I treat that and I put in some dental impression material and put the boots on and they typically walk right off so no and, and that's the thing is we have to be very aware that the internal structures of these feet are weak Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of owners don't understand, just because of the lack of education. Not that, which is not their fault, you know. Um, our sure. society basically says, "Trust your professionals. Don't question your professionals." Sure, sure. And so I make a really big deal of asking them to ask me questions, asking them to yeah. um, have me explain what I'm doing, really talking through my process, and telling them that you know what's really important to me is education and empowering my clients to feel like they have a decent knowledge information. Sure. And that, Hey, if they text me the next day saying, Hey, I I had this question or I know you said something about copper and zinc or what about the central sulcus thrush? You know, I want them to feel like they can approach me with those questions because a huge number of clients that I get go, you know, I just, I've been through three farriers in the past couple of years, and whenever I ask them, hey, what about this, they just blow me off. And then I pick up the foot, and, you know, it's like, well, but that's a very valid question because the foot's really distorted. And, you know, the heels are really underrun, and the toes are really long, and you're asking why and what can we do to help the horse, and the farrier is, is, is not sure involving you in, in the process. Um, because the thing is, is we're only there for a half an hour or an hour every few weeks. Mm-hmm. What happens the other 24 hours a day times, you know, three and a half sure. or four and a half weeks, you know, that's on the owner and on the horse right. and the environment and the diet and everything else. We're such, actually, we're such a small part of the puzzle that gets these horses transitioning. 
Yeah. We have to set up success, but it's the owner and the horse that have to create the success. Sure. Right. And so if we're not involving the owner in what that success is going to actually take and what they need to do to create it, then we're not doing our job. Yeah. And I think, um, such a large part, like we're talking about, you know, we're coming to all these really weak feet and we're trying to get them comfortable barefoot. Cause a lot of times, you know, we are either like our last resort or it's people that are just, you know, they want to pull the shoes cause they're, they're like, well, I'm not riding now anyway, but they, they're not really necessarily focused on, you know, the feet and what they can do to help them. I, you were all talking about preparing the owner for, you know, what, what they can do to, to make these feet stronger. Um, one thing that I see is really important. I know we've talked about it a million times on the podcast is diet. So I don't know how you all approach that with, with owners, but a lot of times I'll ask owners when they contact me about pulling shoes, I'll ask them to at least start a diet change, like one Mm -hmm. cycle before I come out. And, um, obviously you're not going to see a whole new foot in five weeks, but, um, (laughs) At least you'll start getting the very new growth of the very hairline to be a little bit healthier if it's been, if the horse has been on a diet that's higher in sugar and starch or been on, you know, a lot of grain or um, really low minerals or been on pasture when it really shouldn't be grazing because of sugars. Um, And once you adjust that, at least I've seen these horses grow in a much tighter hoof connection, you know, lamina connection. And then as that grows down, once it gets below, where the coffin boat would sit in the hoof capsule, I see them a lot more comfortable. So, you know, About halfway through that first capsule, it's like all of a sudden it's like a light switch. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And so it's, you know, when we're talking about what are ways that we can help these horses have a successful transition to barefoot, um, that's something that I see as like, like owners, this is your homework. Like obviously treating sure. thrush, treating thrush and using boots and doing whatever you can to make sure yep. that they're moving comfortably. But like diet, if they can get that honed in, that is like 90% it's of huge. the success. Yeah. Right. It's absolutely critical because diet is what controls how much inflammation is in the hoof capsule. Nothing yes. else is going to manage the inflammation in the capsule, not the trim, yeah. not no. the boots, not the glue ones, not that nothing yeah. else except for <clears throat> what goes in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. I've walked away from clients who just just don't get it because I am not able to help them, and they're always asking me to 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 do all of these things. And I say, you know what, I I can't help you until you're going to help your horse. And diet is just it's ninety something percent of the game. To be perfectly honest with you, Mm -hmm. for sure. I've been so lucky, so lucky that you know the people that I'm working with are you know they're researching, they're online, you know, they're looking for any little nugget of information they can find. They're listening to you, Alicia, they're, <laughs> you know, on Pete's website. I mean, they're looking for everything to do that. So I, you know, they, they are, they're managing that, that grain. A lot of my courses that I end up transitioning are in boarding situations. And so there's a little bit of um, difficulty with, Hey, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they able to get just a low NSC hay? And some are and some aren't, but they do their best then to adjust the diet in other areas to try to accommodate what they have no control over. Right. Yeah. A diet here is the hard feed that the horses get is such a small part of of the ball, really. Um, That's wonderful. In New Zealand most of our horses are turned out uh, on grass 
And our grass here is make or break, really, for a lot of horses going barefoot. Huh. We're really good for production, so farming. Uh, but when it comes to horses, that's really challenging because our grass has been genetically modified to fatten stock for milk production and meat production. And for horses, that's that's certainly not ideal. Oh, good. <laughs> so we see it in, in certain areas, some areas used for farming a lot. Those have much bigger challenges with grass and then other areas where the grass hasn't been modified and fertilised so much, then those areas can be easier. But not every owner can kind of manage the grass sure. as the horse needs. They, they can to some degree, but they have what they have and we have to work right. with that. And, yeah, the same with hay. Like the hay comes off those same paddocks. It can be a lot of rye and clover, fertilised, cut for feeding other stock. So it's not cut at the ideal time of day. It's mm-hmm. actually cut to keep a lot of those sugars in. So even our hay wow. can be really high sugar. And it's it's hard for people to find that low NSC hay. And then it depends on the season as well. So the last couple of years, when it's been so wet, we've had a lot of flooding and it's been very difficult to make hay. So it's kind of just what people can get. If you've got hay, then... Right, <laughs> yeah, then it's sold. <laughs> so those are the, all the, the challenges that we, we need to work with for people. And, yeah, that feeds into when we're going to transition or if it's going to be successful. But it can be... Those can be managed as well. It's just a factor of managing... A little bit of sensitivity when we get grass flushes come through, making sure that we've got protection, thinking about what that horse is going to be doing. We're in spring at the moment here, so we have a lot of grass coming through. People are starting to compete. So, um, yeah, we need to be planning how we're going to manage the grass and what the horse is going to be doing while that grass comes through. Wow. So what have you done to kind of, yeah, what have you done to kind of make up for the fact that you don't really have any options for like a low sugar forage? Well, some people do. So more and more people are becoming aware of this. More and more people have dry lots um, to varying degrees. Some have really good fully surface dry lots with no grass. Others have really minimal grass which can of course be a challenge with really short grass shoots coming through Mm -hmm. but there's lots of good products good information coming through in New Zealand now about how to manage your horse well um, on grass products that can help to to balance lush grass and it kind of depends on the type of horse some horses can their digestive system their breed their makeup can handle that more lush grass and then other metabolic types it's a real challenge so if I'm talking to a new client or a client who's getting a new horse and it's a metabolic type of horse then that's certainly something we discuss in detail before we think about pulling shoes um, is how we're going to manage that horse and source the right hay for them 
Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah. And I guess, you know, one big thing, cause you know, we're talking to the owners about, you know, your horse might not be comfortable or they might need a lot of accommodations in order to get them comfortable is, mm. you know, two things. What is one is what the owner can expect once you pull shoes. And then another is what's normal, like what to expect, I guess, what's normal, but what's not normal. And like when you should, you know, kind of have some red flags sure. going off. So I don't know if anybody wants to start with that. So I'll, I can start. I only because this is fresh in my mind. I started two new rehabs and you know, I always have them flipping back the back of the boot, checking for hair rubbing, adding powder. I okay. don't want the horse to be, you don't want to add that sort of insult to already injury, you know? So, so we're always talking about, you know, that horse should be moving how he was in shoes or better. If he's not, then I need to come back out. But truthfully, I just have them peeling back, peeling back the boot, looking for things, hand walking them, looking for changes in movement, changes in how they're moving out and turn out. You know, obviously I would say if they're, you know, look like they're in pain, which knock wood, I've not, you know, had any of that, but, you know, to, to give me a call and, and we'll see what's going on in the foot. But for the most part, it's just making sure that that, skin and the hair is healthy and that the animal is moving properly and gently, you know, I tell people, you know, please do not go right back into your previously scheduled workload. Your horse is basically in strength training on the inside of his foot right now. And we need to go easy with that. But certainly I don't want them to be moving worse than they were when I pulled the shoes. For sure. And, um, you know, it's really, it's physical therapy. Yeah. Basically absolutely. what we're, what we're doing with these horses. And when you phrase it in, in ways that folks understand, they go, Oh, okay. So, mm -hmm. you know, I had a horse in shoes, so I had basically, you know, it, it, it's as if you're doing all your daily activities with a really rigid, stiff brace on a joint, say, you know, yep. um, you know, one of those big, metal braces on your knee that's got, you mm -hmm. know, hinges on it and that kind of thing. And now we're stepping down into a much softer brace. We have the boot and the pad and that's, you know, your, your, your nice softer padded brace, but that still is going to allow for so much more movement. Sure. Inside and in the soft tissues. And so, you know, for the first half hour or a couple hours or, you know, day or two that you're moving into that, it's not so bad, but then, all of the tissues start to get tired. And then as that fatigue builds and you start to get some low level inflammation just from use that it hasn't had before, things start to hurt. And so, you know, a horse can look great right when you pull the shoes, can look fantastic when you put the boots and pads on for 12 hours, 24 hours, and then they stop moving so much. You might not notice that they don't move quite as much. And then all of a sudden they're like really sore. And that's kind of when you get the panicked phone calls. That <laughs> um, and you go, okay, you know, just, just don't panic here. You know, have the boots been on? Well, I took them off for a while. Cause it looks like <laughs> okay, well then go put the boots back on, you know, try and always think about, okay, so we're going to do say, you know, 12 hours on and 12 hours off or 16 and eight or something like that where we're always going to give the horse a break before they need 
the brake. Don't push them to the point where they're really sore. Now you're having to like give them a little bit of some sort of uh, um, pain relief. You're playing catch up. Um, exactly. You know, we don't want to give them a ton of pain relief because we don't want them to feel great and then overdo it and injure themselves. But we want them to be feeling good enough so that they're gently moving consistently because right. movement is what will heal. And so we, we have to find that fine line and walk that tightrope there of enough stimulation and movement yes. that will heal, but not so much that we're going to go back. Make them sore. Them. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. kind of figuring out what that looks like for every horse is different. And there are some who need boots 23 and a half hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's wow. where I'm at right now with mine for the most part. And sometimes those, you know, will do that for a week and say, you know what, let's just put them in composites or let's just cast them because, <laughs> yeah. you know what, this horse needs so much extra care, especially if you're in like a boarding situation. So the owner's driving out there two, three times a day or has to buy multiple pairs of boots and tons of foot power. And you know that you're going to be changing boot sizes in two cycles. And so it's not going to be more cost effective to do boots. You know, it might make more sense to do a cycle in composites as a step down. Yeah, and yeah. Then do another step down into a, a more, um, and you can even do a cast, which will slowly over the cycle sure. more flexible, yeah. and then a step down into boots, right? Big, you know, cloud pads, and then a step down into boots with a thin pad or no pad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's down. so many possibilities, right? I mean. Need these little itty bitty baby steps and some horses can make pretty big jumps. But the thing is, is, you know, again, we don't have magic eight balls. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if we have horses that are this sensitive, we have to go, okay, why? Let's start asking questions. Let's get x-rays. Let's get blood work. Sure. Let's really yeah. analyze. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's figure out, you know, is your horse one of those weird outliers who, you know, is only 12, but has questions. Is your horse, you know, one of those who you wouldn't expect this breed to have insulin resistance and they're not showing symptoms sure. like fat pads or being easy keepers or anything like that. Look, I had a, um, an off the track thoroughbred who we just could not get comfortable until finally we convinced the vet that yes, please test this, uh, this off the track, um, thoroughbred mare for IR and sure as a bell, she was insulin resistant. So we finally yes. got a note from the vet to the barn owner to stop feeding the horse alfalfa and she came right in two cycles Yeah, after yeah. a year and a half yeah. of fighting because the barn owner insisted that, that the skinny thoroughbred needed alfalfa but she was insulin resistant and if I mean, she it's had such alfalfa, an individual <laughs> right it's such an individual thing really you know this whole rehab transition process is you have a general, like I have a general guideline. Like I, you know, say this is likely what's going to happen next. And then after that, we're hoping, hoping for this, but the horse is the one who gives us the timeline. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have to respect the horse and the horse's needs and what the horse is telling us. Um, you know, and if that means we bring in body work, if that means that we, you know, quote, go backwards and you know, take a barefoot horse and put shoes on it because it's just not right barefoot. If, you know, and uh, composite shoes on it because it's not right barefoot. There's there's no one right way to do it. Right. Like this. right, right, right. Yeah, and I tell my owners too. You know, like yes, we can expect that there's going to be a, a difference of feeling in this horse, especially if there's a time when throughout the day that they are barefoot to give them a break from whatever protection they have on. 
But if this horse is like crippled, lying down, not, you know, very uncomfortable, obviously that is not okay. And and that's something that we, you know, I don't want you to be like, oh, well, they're, they just transitioned to barefoot. So obviously they can't walk. Like, no, no, no. (laughs) No, but I mean, people do think that. Yeah. Really people still out there who really do believe that, you know, there's no way a horse can be comfortable coming out of shoes. And this is not true. Right. You know, coming out of metal shoes, but that does not mean without hoof protection. And that, I think, is the huge thing that people don't understand is that there there are, there's a huge range of things that qualify as hoof protection. Absolutely. Yeah. And metal shoes is only one aspect of it. Right. And then, you know, as time goes on and they grow in that healthier foot from a diet change, you know, you they may not need as much protection. You know, they, right. they can get exactly. stronger and stronger. And sometimes that takes, you know, it can take one full hoof capsule new growth, which is, you know, whatever, nine months or so. Sometimes it can take two, like, two? of those entire. Really? Yeah. Like, every, yeah. I, have, I still have horses that I've trimmed for five years that every year I'm like, man, this foot is better than it was last year. I know. I know. Isn't <laughs> it awesome? Though? Yeah. I yeah. That. Yeah. But it's it's just showing it you, like, it takes time. Yes. And it demonstrates the resiliency of the foot, how it wants to improve. We just have to yeah. give it right. the, the chance. Really, Mostly, yeah. we just have to get out of the way. Right, you and know? we need to know when to help and much. when to get out of the way. Yeah. Exactly. Doing too much is usually the problem. And when I have a horse that I'm having trouble with and we're just sitting here scratching our heads, I kind of go, okay, we're just going to do the minimum for a few cycles. You know, balance and roll and make sure there's nothing egregiously going on and, and just let the horse show us yeah. what it might need. And very often that will help. And yeah, it yeah. looks ugly. And people go, oh my God, who's butchering your horse's feet? And it's like, well, <laughs> the horse is. <laughs> um, but we're, we're in a fact-finding mission here. And then you can start to apply what you've learned and, and help the horse that way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess like my, you know, we're talking so much about, I mean, Sarah kind of touched on it about how there are things to explore when this horse is not as comfortable as you would want them to be or expect them to be. And so I guess, you know, the last thing that I would kind of want to touch on today is, is what do you recommend to owners to do if it's just, you know, quote unquote, not working? Like we're just not, this horse is just not comfortable because, you know, that, that can happen as sadly as, you know, as much as, you know, we don't want to see them sore. Like they, there can be some horses that are just struggling. And my first go-to, you know, if, if I've been working on, well, first of all, if, if I walk up and see, you know, very (laughs) wonky hoof capsule, I pretty much ask for x-rays right away. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most case, if, if I've got a, you know, like something I've seen, for quite a bit and have a good idea can picture what's going on in there. And if I'm trimming it for a while and doing all my things and I'm not seeing improvement, my first go-to is x-rays because I can't change bone. And if yes. bone is what's causing this, then that's going to be our answers. Um, and a lot of times they're having the vet out for that. I'm like, you know, let's just run a metabolic panel and see what's going on there. Or, you know, we'll, you know, um, boy, he's got all kinds of compensatory postural issues here because of sore front feet let's get a body Mm -hmm. worker in here and work on that um but diet it like sarah had said earlier you know aside from any huge bony changes in that capsule a lot can really be and i think you mentioned it too alicia a lot can be alleviated by managing that diet 
And I do a lot of times end up pulling body work into it just because these horses were uncomfortable for so long. Mm -hmm. There's no question there's compensatory postures there that are going to be contributing to fatigue or overworking or atrophy of different parts of the body. And why not give them their best shot? Absolutely. I think so often, you know, we see things like particularly, you know, high, low and really underrun feet and negative plantar angles, especially behind people. will look, Oh, well, he's got really, really low heels. So, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, trim all the toe or wedge or da, 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 da. And it's like, well, but the thing is, it's a chicken and the egg scenario. Sure. You know, what caused the problem? Did they have a front end injury, which then caused them to rock back on the hind end for the six months while it healed? And then they ended up with crushed hind heels. And so then they ended up with negative plantar angles. And then because they're compensating for that old front injury, that's a high foot. And so that was got a high and a low. And it it doesn't matter past a certain point. It's just, it's all there. Right. Now we got to work from here. Right. And I can't fix everything by tripping. So you need to, you know, let's get the x-rays and confirm the extent of the, the negative angles and the sole thickness and the distal descent. Let's get body work out here to start working on all of these compensation problems in the body. Let's get some recommendations for um, exercise that will help strengthen sure. mm-hmm. the parts of the body, you know, stop going, you know, like, if the horse really prefers the right lead, okay, make sure that you're getting at least half, if not more like three quarters of the time, going to the left, you know, mm-hmm. start exercising the opposite parts of the body that are weak. Um, and then we often would find, okay, well, actually, now that we did all this, the problem is not that front leg that got injured three years ago. Sure. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. Things just ping pong everywhere. And so a, a huge part of this is like coming back to having a vet that will work with you because like we need vets. We need vets. We are one part of your horse's health care team. And yeah. we really need to be able to get the support from people who can do x-rays and blood work and prescribe sure. things and yeah. do all of that. Oh, yeah. You know, we can't diagnose stuff. Right. And um, and you mentioned it before, Sarah, about how like those cases that really just seem to confound us. I've had a handful of them here even that, you know, they just don't seem super comfortable. And we pull blood and it is that, you know, early teen horse that has PPID yeah. or, you know, the insulin's just too high. And, and then once you kind of make a few adjustments, it's amazing how quickly they can grow mm-hmm. a healthier foot, but also sure. how quickly they can become comfortable, even if their right. foot isn't fully strong, you know? Once you knock yeah. down the inflammation, everything starts just writing itself. The whole yeah. Thing yeah. Kind of comes back I to center. Sometimes we also just need to go back and review the basics and mm-hmm. kind of assess, is, the, is there a time when the horse has been more comfortable sure. or less comfortable and are there, there patterns of what's happening at that time? Um, is the owner still on track with the diet? I've had cases right. um, of laminated horses especially. Yeah. Yeah. We've, had them on, we've had them going great. Everything's been really smooth. Um, and then they've been to the feed store and the person <laughs> in the feed store said, oh, your horse is prone to laminitis. You need this feed. And I've been tearing my hair out trying to work out what is going on. And it's just that they've changed feed. Right. Um, 
So it might be something simple. Um, it could be sometimes that the horse has been putting it, put in a different paddock and it's got a really swampy area or a really rocky area or they've started to work on the arena more and we just need to change what we're doing. Um, so sometimes it's basic stuff and sometimes, yeah, we need to yeah. start looking at blood work and x-rays. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is all really good, you know, really good thoughts and information. And, um, I mean, for anybody that's listening, that maybe is a little bit, uh, it can be, it can seem overwhelming because there is a, an owner component sure. to getting these feet yeah. healthy. Um, I would just say, you know, not to put a plug for other episodes, but there's so many podcast episodes that we've done that talk about diet or talk about, you know, other things that can affect the health of the foot. Is when you mentioned the owner component, I mean, there is a fair amount of anxiety that the owners are bringing mm-hmm. to the whole experience. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, there are, there many times with me, at least they're reaching me after several, you know, frustrating vet appointments or hospital appointments or, you know, um, lameness exams or things like that. And here they're, you know, really going against the grain of their, you know, their vet or their trainer or whatever by pulling the shoes and starting this process that I sometimes feel that, and I, I'm just asking this, you know, of the three of you, if you experience this, where you're almost being hyper um, managed or not, not even that they're just, they're so anxious about it that you, they're um, needing a lot of reassurance and um, they're almost noticing some things that maybe aren't even noteworthy and worrying about them. Does that happen? That can and- totally happen. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes and people just need that reassurance that, yes, that's normal, that can happen, and it just needs some more time. But it's yeah. certainly hard when they've got um, trainers, vets, friends telling them um, yes. that they should just get on with it or yeah. Yeah, put some shoes yeah. on. I know. Just ride often, that horse. I'm like, no, don't just ride the horse. Yeah. So, so often um, people get all these worries or – they change things just before things were about to get good and it's like just another month right. or two and things smooth out and we're okay yeah yeah and it's it's i've over the years been able to kind of start developing an idea of okay which owners are gonna be less likely to trust the process yes i yes and yes you know, there's a fair amount of handholding that needs yeah, to be and done. I try yeah. And talk to them more extensively up front and kind of get a feel for what are they concerned about? Um, and try and really go, okay, so what, what is the big unknown here that is causing them so much trouble? Sure. Um, and, and very often, you know, it's, Unfortunately, we live in such a society where people are, are just judged so easily by sure. the choices that they make. And right. so to go against the grain and to pull shoes on your horse who, you know, the vets prescribed wedges and egg bars and uh, three right. different daily medications and eventually will nerve and inject steroids. Um, you know, it's that's where to do something so radically different as to eliminate all of that and sure. feed minerals. 
um, then you kind of go like, <laughs> oh, well, you're like a crazy hippie doodah. Right. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I get the perspective that you're coming from, and I get that it's all concerning, but, you know, every so often I will tell somebody, look, let's give it a try. If it doesn't work, you can put shoes back on. Right, right. And I go, oh. Yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> and yeah. then sometimes that just smooths things over. Um, sure. But, you know, ideally you want to get an owner who's comfortable enough with you and comfortable enough with your experience and your explanation and your education and your education of them as an owner. Yes, yeah. Um, that they are willing to trust the process and absolutely let, let us do what we need to do as professionals to yeah. help the person. Yeah, um, and that's oftentimes the toughest thing because a lot of these owners they're 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 in such a hard place and they're so anxious right. because they've been burned so many times. Yes, and they love you know, their animal and want them to feel better. You yeah, know, and they've had the vet recommended farrier out who came and charged them six hundred dollars for some you know Good incredibly complicated set that made the horse right. Work. Right, and yep. you know, I get that it's. You know, it's tough. And especially when yeah. you're talking about doing composites. And a composite setup is 400 450 bucks because that's just what it costs in material. Sure, sure. I mean, like, 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 big, big thing that a lot of folks don't get when I, I, I quote them something on composites and I charge just labor and materials and don't have a flat rate, is I make less money doing gluons than I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I yeah. Have, like I, I'm happy if I break even, frankly. Sure. Um, because... I try to keep it accessible to people within reason of what yeah, it costs. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Uh, and so that can be really tricky for some people. It's like we're like, we have a rehab horse who probably should go with blue ones, but they just can't afford them. Yeah. And because they've done every other crazy expensive treatment that has been recommended to them, and now they're, they're sort of at this point where they've... Yes, exhausted their resources, do. right. Yeah, and it's so tough, and I feel for them. Because um, I have horses, the only reason I kept her rehabbing her as long as I did um, is because I was doing it all myself. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, I would not have been able to try the 10 or 12 different composite setups that we did with her or the 14 x rays that we did in one day on her. I just had the vet come out and we just sat there for two hours and just did everything. Um, yeah. you, know, and, you know, and eventually, no, I couldn't help her. She's going to Montana to be there because she's not. And having the experiences like that to be able to relate to other people and to tell them, Hey, absolutely. Look, I'm yeah. A human being with horses. I love my own horses too. And here's my story. Here's how I yep. got here. Yep. And I really want to help you with your horse. Yeah. Uh, but I need you to trust me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the most part, I do there, have that. Yeah. If we can get there, then if the owners can trust you, then we usually can get somewhere. But if the owners can never let <laughs> that go, and yeah. To never no. let you do what you need to do and let yeah. you trust them. Yeah. Uh, let them trust I let you. them go. Yeah. I it, do it let them go. It just doesn't work. No. It just doesn't work. And ultimately, that's probably the hardest part of the job. It's just when we're not a match and when to make that. Call. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, we've, we're, just hit the one hour mark. So I guess we can, we can start to wrap up and I don't know if, you know, any of you had just some last minute advice before we kind of end our call on what you, you know, what you might advise owners on who are taking their horses barefoot. Well, if I can jump in really quick, I had a point to make for folks who are in boarding situations and diet. 
Um, and uh, I know I've just been talking a ton, but this is something that I'm stuck with 95% of the time because here in Southern California, everybody boards. We're on dry lots. We don't have pasture, thankfully, but that's really kind of the only thing we have going for us because the horses are all in small corrals and stalls and we have no control over our hay because if we can buy our own hay, we can only buy 20 bales at a time. Um, there's no one has enough storage to store, you know, six months worth of hay. Um, so everyone's running off of, here's a general average for the area last year. Maybe this supplement will work. Some folks are, are, are starting to get the idea um, and hay testing and providing those hay tests at the feed store, which is great. But most folks don't have that luxury. And so, you know, it can be done for most horses. Not all horses, obviously. There are some that are just so metabolically sensitive that the diet has to be perfect. But we can, for many horses, still do well going with a hay that is likely to be low in sugar and starch, um, like Bermuda, Teff, or Timothy, and a low sugar or starch carrier for a basic forage balancer like Arizona Proper Complete, California Trace Plus, Vermont Blend, um, or a few others. So um, I just wanted to throw that in there for any owners who are going, um, so I'm stuck and I don't have control over anything. Um, yeah. Can it still be done? And yes, the answer is it can still be done. Yeah, absolutely. Did Jenna, Anna, did you guys have any last minute advice uh, for owners? No, you know, I feel, I feel like we, you know, I guess mine is more on, on the emotional aspect is that, you know, we're, we want, we want your horse to be comfortable. We want to work with you and we want it to be a good team. In the end, we all want the same thing. And I guess that that's basically it. I just, you know, we want your horse to feel as, as mm-hmm. good as you want them to, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, we're all likely on the same page in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have much more to, to add to that. It's just making sure that you have a good team around you. Make sure that the hoof care provider you choose is... Um, kind of got the same values as you and is on the same page and making sure you communicate with them. Don't be afraid to call them up and say, hey, my horse is looking like this or um, worried about that. Absolutely. Until your right. next appointment, um, you can call us <laughs> because yeah. we can we can help and then at the next appointment we can, can review that. So communication is a big part of making it work and um, making sure that you're expectations um, of your individual horse are realistic I guess yeah Um, and sometimes they can do a lot more than what people think but we just need to make sure (laughs) that yeah everyone's on the same page sure absolutely I need Uh, to hop off you guys so oh yeah yeah well thank you so much for your time yes very nice chatting with everyone I think we got some really good information out there. So I, I thank you, everybody. Yeah, I think, you know, this we can kind of wrap up our call. Thank Wonderful. Thanks for the opportunity. Right. Yeah, thank you guys oh, all for you. spending your time. Good Have a great rest of your night. Thanks, you too. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, yeah. Bye. Good day for you. <laughs> Bye. 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 
I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.